I went to CCS and then jumped around the globe for a while because I got a book advance and I figured the best thing to do with that is blow it on plane tickets. No regrets. Um, and then only in the last year have I settled back in Vermont now uh, with a job and a wife and a cat. So you are domestic. I'm I'm extremely domestic. I'm sitting in the house that I own on our little mountainside. When did you get married? I actually got married last week. <laughs> wow. So it's pretty, Congratulations. it's pretty hot off the press. I don't know what to ask other than like, how's that going? It's fantastic. It's great. And she's a cartoonist too. So it's... Uh-oh. Is that a good thing? You know, normally I would say it's not a good thing, but with her, couldn't be lovelier. No competition there? No, it works because she's super talented. So <laughs> she's super talented and she's super secure. We both are. So it's it's perfect. But it does, it does not bode well for our future children where I... Both their moms are cartoonists. It's kind of like they're doomed to do this too. They're going to be starting quarterbacks. That's what I want. Anything but this. Please, anything but this. You found success and you found it pretty quickly. And clearly, like, it's a little tongue in cheek to say that. But when you talk to kids who are just starting out or like CCS students, do you tend to sort of edge them away from seeking this as an occupation? I am always really hesitant to push people towards doing this full time. I am all about people having comics and art in their life, but everyone has a really pretty idea in their head of what it feels like to sit down all day alone and draw graphic novels for five years straight. And it's, you know, it's some people have the stomach for it, but from what I've discovered, most people don't. And I think in general, your comics are fueled by other kinds of interactions with the world. So the the line that I always push is do comics and also do something else. So like for me, it's doing comics and teaching simultaneously. That's how I sort of find the balance with it. But it's like you don't have coworkers. You sure you can go to conventions. San Diego Comic-Con does exist, but it's it's a one-off. So I, I'm very hesitant about this being a person's whole existence. I'm all about... I'm all about balance. And I'm also pretty hesitant about pushing people towards longer form work at this point. You should, you have to, you have to be ready to do a graphic novel. It's, it's something different. And there's this idea that it, to make work that's important, it has to be long. And it's so not true. Um, so I try to break that down with my students that it's like a, a wonderful 30 page comic can be more powerful than a 300 page comic. There's no need to do it just to do it unless you really need that space. You have no shortage of longer form books at this point. And we'll, we'll talk about the collection in a bit, which is clearly a case of you kind of ramping up to it to some degree, but it still mm-hmm. seems like you kind of jumped in with both feet. I mean, when you started, were you also under the impression that you needed to create a long work and that that was more substantial? You know, I fortunately wasn't because I didn't expect to be a cartoonist. I, my grand plans involved you not going to college and maybe enlisting in the military. And then cartooning kind of showed up accidentally. The military? Yeah. That's my question. My question is the military? Recruiter in high school totally convinced me. And I was, I was all ready to go. And I had applied to CCS, the Center for Cartoon Studies, on a whim, really thinking I wouldn't get in and not expecting to go at all. And then I got in. And I thought, oh, I guess I'll go to comic school for two years. I'll be 20 when I get out. I can enlist after that. And co- the comics just sort of took off. I realized I liked it a lot. And I kept with that. So 
I, so when it came to like making a graphic novel, I wasn't going into this being like, I need to make a graphic novel. I need to be an author. I went into this thinking this was like a fun way to spend two years and a more affordable way to approach an education instead of a four-year university, which seemed like too much money. And so I, I sort of, I feel like the choices I made for my career were very much about what seemed right in the moment and not about other people's expectations. So I got lucky, but I definitely have a streak of intensity within me. I mean, I was, you know, pointed towards the military that that says something in itself. So the way I approached comics was pretty intense. So the the intensity that I was was maybe going to point elsewhere ended up being targeted at comics. So of course, I didn't do anything halfway. I started a comic, I finished it immediately, I would start a new comic, I'd make another book, another book, another book. Very, uh, I'm, I'm pretty disciplined when it comes to this art form. Intense and intense, but do you think that you benefited from not having the pressure of assuming that this was going to be your career? Oh my God. I think it made it possible. I think I, if I had gone into comic school as an 18 year old wanting to make this into something, every little failure or every, every uh, roadblock would have felt completely different. I didn't mind the roadblocks because it was like, what on earth is it blocking? It totally, it totally made it possible. And sometimes I think it makes it hard. I always try to empathize with, with my students, especially who have wanted this their whole life. And it's, it's hard sometimes because I didn't want this my whole life. And sometimes it makes me feel like a fraud to even say that this, this art form that I've, I've dedicated myself to is something that just kind of showed up accidentally. It showed up just because I took a class with Scott McCloud that I didn't even sign up for. My dad signed me up for it. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to take a class with somebody who's going to propel you into comics as a career, I think that's probably a pretty good starting point. I know. Little did I know. He's a great guy. He still is a great guy. Is there a sense of guilt in feeling like this is something that a lot of people want and that you didn't necessarily want and that you've had success at? I wonder if it's guilt. I wonder if it's more that, you know, that I feel like I, I constantly get asked the question, like, when did you start drawing? When did you start wanting to do this? And as a kid, I remember feeling pretty ambivalent towards drawing. I didn't think I was that good at it. So it was like, I'm not going to waste my time doing this. I'll, I'll do other things. So sometimes I feel like I wonder where my ability came from if it wasn't this sort of deep kernel that was always in me. And when I think back, it it sort of just came from sheer will of I started doing it. And I remember looking at my first comic that I drew, a two-page comic about a boy who turns into an octopus that will never see publication because it's really ugly. And I looked at it and I was like, this is ugly as fuck. And I was like, well, okay, let me do, let me do it again and try and make it prettier. So I don't know, maybe it's maybe it's guilt and maybe it's it's also just feeling like when we talk about the narrative of successful creatives, I don't feel like the common narrative is that this just sort of happened and I've tried my best ever since. It's usually that like this is something that's always been a part of me, but if I don't want to do comics next year, I will never do them again. I think it's unlikely. I really do like them now, but I also don't feel like if I stopped doing comics, my life would stop. Maybe there's something to that too. Is part of your drive just that sort of uh, of momentum in knowing that like if you do hit pause that you might not go back to it? Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think it's it it might be pretty likely in a way. I I have a I have five-ish books that I'm contractually obligated to do and that I'm enjoying doing right now. After those books, I don't know. I guess five books for you and five books for another cartoonist are not necessarily the same thing. I mean, there are, I, I talk to a lot of people who 
for any number of reasons. <laughs> that could be like a 25 year period. I know. How long do you estimate for you that would be? It's probably going to be so two, two are already in progress. One is almost done. It's going to be probably four years, four or five okay. years. Okay. So that's still a decent chunk of your life. It is. Yeah. And it's hard to project four years from now for just about anybody. I know. I know. Who knows? I do think my approach to making the books has changed recently. I do feel a lot less tension about making them in general. I feel like I've become a little bit, just a little bit more relaxed when it comes to like, what am I trying to say with this book? It used to be a sort of a question that kind of tortured me. Um, And now, I don't know, it doesn't seem to torture me as much. What's your sense of what changed or what's your sense of why that changed? I think I realized that when you make multiple books or many books, it started to I've started to notice now looking back, it's like, oh, each book is sort of saying something a little bit different. And and in a way, they're actually all kind of saying the same thing, but they all sort of have unique little kernels to them. And in the book that I'm currently working on, the, the Clementine graphic novel, it's, I look at it and I'm like, oh, I, I can't say everything just with this one book. I can maybe say like a couple interesting things that I can follow up on in book two and that book two will have a little kernel, book three. I don't know. I think I realized that every page doesn't need to be sort of a a magnum opus or like a really, I don't know, it doesn't have to be so overt in, in its goals. It can just be fun. I'm drawing a lot of action lately. And I was like, Oh, this is just, this is just fun. (laughs) Part of that is a freedom of knowing that you've got more books in you so that you don't have to say everything in, in just that one. I think so. And I think it's also knowing what I want to say in my books and what I want no one to know about me and what I don't want to say to anyone except to my cat and wife is that that boundary, which didn't exist when I was younger. I thought everything I was feeling had to be in my work. And I think it's a, it's a fine way to approach it when you're young and starting out. But now it's like, Oh God, I don't want, I don't want to put this aspect of myself in front of people. I want to, I want to hold it on my own. When you look back at older works, I I assume particularly uh, more autobiographical ones, are there instances where you put entirely too much of yourself on a page? You know, I don't know because I don't, I don't even remember what's in most of those books. I can't recall what's in Spinning and I don't really want to know. I'm sure if I looked back, I would probably feel a little exposed with what, but I, I try to have faith in the fact that at the time it felt right. And I don't think it's very productive to judge how I felt when I was 19, because when I was 19, everything was pretty raw. And I think you tell stories differently when you're raw about the emotion. So it's sort of, I sort of avoid it in its own way. Maybe when I'm a little older, I can, I can really approach it right now. It doesn't seem that helpful. You said earlier that in a certain sense, you're kind of saying the same thing to Mm -hmm. different degrees over and over again. Is that something that you can qualify? You know, I, what is it that I noticed? I feel like I noticed, I feel like uh, in the way characters speak to one another and in kind of the, especially in the endings of a lot of my books, I was like, I sort of feel like I'm doing the same thing over and over again. And at first I was like, oh God, does that, that means I got to change it, change it up, change up the script. And then I thought about it a little more and I was like, no, maybe for like a certain era for me, I needed to kind of say over and over again that like love is important and loneliness doesn't solve all your problems. And I don't know, 
something about environments because clearly that's in there. I keep, oh, I remember, I noticed I keep drawing people building things. It's like, a, it won't stop. Even in my Clementine book, they're fucking building houses. Um, I don't know. And I, I had a moment where I was like, why am I so drawn to this concept of, of both decay and renewal, especially when it comes to architecture? Because it's been there since the first book I've done. And I kind of decided, I guess I'll just keep drawing it until I figure it out. I'm really not sure why I'm so drawn to it. Not to be too literal about it, but there's a sense of building when you sit down and write a book. I mean, you know, in some cases, it's just a story. Mm. When you're doing something like science fiction, it's, it's the term is world building, right? Yeah. That's a really good point. I've never thought of it like that. I, in a way, you're right. It's reflecting the process. Before we get too far away, I have to ask you, what did the recruiter say that was so convincing that made you want to join the military? Because I don't know, I don't know a lot about you other than what I've read. And, you know, and and I've I've read a couple of interviews, but like, I hope this isn't offensive to say that you don't necessarily strike me as somebody who would be super excited to join the military. I know. And certainly not my persona or not, not if think if you read all my work, you'd be like, she's going to join the Marines. Really? Oh, the Marines. <laughs> yeah. Not yeah. just the military, the Marines. I know. I know. What was it? I mean, I don't know. I, I could probably get pretty dark in talking about it, but there was something so enticing to me about cutting the self off and just being a part of this organism. There was the way she talked about the collective and, and it was a woman too, which I felt like was definitely significant. It was a woman talking to me, this young girl about a way to like be more in your body to do nothing, but I don't know, do nothing, but sort of charge, charge ahead for this, this collective belief. And I never, I don't think I'm particularly patriotic. I think, this country is extraordinarily broken. And I I wonder now how it would have felt actually if I had done it as like a young lesbian, a part of this very macho capitalistic machine. But at the moment, it sounded like an excuse to be a little violent, to be tough, to be very physical and and rather than emotional, which sounded to my 17-year-old self very appealing. Obviously, you know, you've changed since you were, since you were a teenager. I guess maybe sort of the, the easiest question is, do you feel more in touch with your emotional side in a way that it sounds like you were very actively pushing it off at that point in your life? Absolutely. I think I am, but that's only been really through rigorous therapy um, and through finding ways to connect with that physicality that I crave so much. So after I finished, I don't even know which book I finished. I finished some book and I took a break from comics and I got licensed as an EMT and worked for a little while at the start of the pandemic, not ideal Um, on an ambulance. And it was, it was tapping into something that I had really missed that comics never provided me with, which was, I don't know. There was some, there's that like raw togetherness of being with someone in their, in very extreme moments. Literally they're most vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah, and I liked being the one in the room who was who was strong and who was helping. It was really, it's still something that I crave and that I, I want to do more of. I think what I found on an ambulance was similar to what I was craving back when I was 17 and talking to a Marine recruiter, which was just this, this idea that you can walk into the room and be the strongest person there. And I still, and, and in a way, I feel like I've done that I've tried to do that with my comics where I, I want to be as strong a cartoonist as I possibly can be. Um, 
but it, it plays out a little differently with comics. There's a lot of value in being needed by somebody. And yeah. and that's a moment when it is life and death if you're, whether or not you're there to show up. Yeah, I always struggled with when my books started coming out and people would tell me that my books helped them. It was hard for me to believe them, even though I... I I shouldn't doubt what they say because if if they say that to me, I should trust it. But it always felt like I just sat alone comfortably at my desk and drew this book and that's helping people. And I've come to feel that books help people in a certain way, uh, but there are a myriad of other ways to help people that books can't do. And it's something I still wrestle with. From therapy, you gain, I think, the, the ability to be more in touch with your emotions. From working as an EMT, you mentioned the physicality. Where in that does your cartooning work fit? You know, obviously, you hear a lot of people talk about their art as catharsis or therapy. Ugh, I wish. I have always pushed back against this idea of art as catharsis. I've certainly had cathartic moments with my art, but it has almost always felt just like a job. And it's like a lot of sweating at a table, especially on a day like today when it's very hot. And in a way, maybe that's where the catharsis comes from is, Stanley, please don't meow so loudly. I'm trying to talk to someone. Is from that, I, I feel like I get catharsis from the effort that I put in, but... I don't know. Like, I I would say I've experienced maybe five or six times a moment when I'm drawing or writing something that feels very illuminating and feels really like magical. It's like that artistic moment. But it's, it's not a reason for me to do it. And I also don't, I really don't believe that art can heal us completely. I think it's uh, actually a pretty dangerous line because when I'm, when I'm making art, I'm, I think the part of me that it fulfills is it's completely internal. It's like a very self-involved act, um, which is why it can be so glorious is you're spending time in your head, in your memories, in your imagination. But I don't know how you're supposed to connect with the world or heal from anything. If you're just sitting right inside yourself. I've never heard it quite articulated like that. And and I would say that most of the people that I talk to who do find a certain sense of catharsis through art are like also in therapy and realize that, you know, that it, that it's not their work, whether it's art or music, isn't going to be a pure outlet. I think you're sort of approaching it from the standpoint of like, it's kind of all or nothing, right? That it like completely serves as that outlet or yeah. not really at all. But you're right. There is an in-between, isn't there? And clearly I get something from it because I keep doing it. Um, I think I, I wonder what it is. I think it's, I think it's the, I always, I feel like a, like a resistance inside myself when people talk about the entire act of art making as catharsis, because I feel like, what is true is that there there is like a piece of it that is catharsis, and then most of it is just like sheer labor. Oh yeah, no, it sucks. So much work. Comics are so hard. Looking at it through that lens, what do you get out of something that is purely autobiographical? What do you get out of telling something deeply personal? I heard you or, or read you talking about spinning, and I think if I remember correctly, I think what you said it is that you hadn't originally envisioned it being maybe as autobiographical as it was, or that the coming out story wasn't about it originally. And at some point in the process, obviously, it became more deeply personal than you set out to make it. Yeah, I think 
you know, autobiographical work is fun because in a way, or it's, it's fun and challenging because when you're writing fiction, I mean, everything just sort of has to be created and it, it is fun working with material that already exists. Mm. Um, and I liked, I think one of my favorite aspects of working on spinning was that by putting down such personal memories, it sort of felt like giving them away. It felt like getting it out of me, sort of like puking, which is a little graphic. So closure is that? I think it's almost like deciding. Yeah, I don't know. It's like it's like when you're at a party and you can tell that you've like told this one story about yourself sort of over and over again. And it's like by telling it in spinning, it's like I don't need to I don't feel so compelled to tell people like I was an ice skater. It was really hard. Also, I'm gay. You know, it. I, I guess it was closure or it was a piece of closure because then after spinning came out, I felt like the real coping started and the real processing happened. How so? Just because then it was out in the world and people knew this part of me. And I was like, well, shit, if people know this about me, I better know this about myself. And I made the book in in such a fugue state that I don't think I was putting a lot on the page without thinking about what it meant to put it on the page. And by putting it out there, it actually made it much easier for me to process with my family, process with people from the book, process with myself. Um, it, it forced me out of out of my shell. Um, little did I know as I was doing it. In the sense that, particularly with your family and people close to you, that it's out there, so you have to deal with it? My inclination is always to not talk about it because it, it feels too painful. But by talking about it, I realized... You know, I found out that my parents and I were on the same page about skating the whole goddamn time. They hated it. They thought I liked it. I hated it. I thought they liked it. You know, it's like one of those things that, and now we're so much closer because I, I don't know, for, unfortunately for all involved, the way I had to deal with it was by writing a memoir, which is not ideal for everyone, but I wouldn't take it back for a second because it really did bring me so much closer with everyone. Maybe this is like where the fugue state kicks in because it's something that I've never been able to fully understand. And it's not an impulse that's unique to you by any stretch of the imagination, but how you can be so completely uncomfortable discussing something with the people in your life and yet sit down and write this book that you know a ton of strangers are going to read. Because you can't, there is no way to fathom when you're working on it that strangers are going to read it. You know it conceptually, but they're not in the room with you here. If they were, no one would write a fucking memoir if their mom was sitting next to them. I mean, it's it's all a concept. It really, I really believe that it's hard to comprehend what it actually means for people to read your book until it's, until it's a book. I think what makes it possible is that you're you're sitting alone with your thoughts. There's paper in front of you. And for whatever reason, you're compelled to put it down. And part of the power, I think, is in not thinking about the consequences and saving the consequences for later. That certainly is what I did. Comics are is such a deliberate art form from a standpoint of, you know, and, and I don't know exactly what your process is, but most people's process to some degree is scripting and then oh, thumbnailing. And- that's where I did. That's why I diverged. On script and in spinning, I drew straight to ink. I just James Sturm was the one who guided me on on the method for the book. But I would just take a piece. I would draw a scene every single day from a different part of my life, and we stitched it together into the book. I think it would have been impossible to write a memoir if I had had to script it out. Someone read it. I thumbnailed it. I penciled it. I don't know how people do it like that. I get it for fiction, but 
autobiographical work? I don't want to sit with that shit for that long. Obviously, James is is as good a North Star as you're possibly going to get when it sits down to when it comes to sitting down and, and starting a book. Why was that the method you landed on? Because when I James was my thesis advisor, spinning started out as a thesis project for CCS. I was I was in a lot of pain thinking about all of these memories and James could see it. And I think he wanted to help me get it out. And the first thing he had me do was, was free writing. So just like, you know, free writing, writing out a bunch of stuff, sort of Mm -hmm. not worrying about grammar or anything. Um, And he went through and he read that he's the only person who's ever read it. And he circled a bunch of things and was like, use this to start a book. And, and I did, and I trusted him, and I'm glad I did. I think, I think he could tell, and I think I knew deep down that I wanted to like let this stuff out and, and figure it out, but um, I kind of needed a, a grown-up to tell me, <laughs> you know? And James, James was a good one to do it because he's, he's a really he's, – he's family at this point in my life. I mean, why was that the moment that you felt like you needed to really get it out? It's a good question. And it's, it's, it's funny remembering how it happened. It happened in that at the end of my first year at CCS, Jason Lutz was one of my teachers and he assigned our final project. And he like looked me in the eyes and was like, you have to make your best comic, the best comic you've ever made for this assignment. He told all of us that. And I, I collapsed. I mean, I, I was like, best comic. The fuck does that mean? I don't know how to do that. I walked home. I cried. I was like, what do I do? And sitting there thinking about it, it came into my head suddenly that I was like, oh my God, I was an ice skater for 12 years. Jason doesn't know that. I'll make a comic about being an ice skater and I'll impress him and all will be well. And so I sat down to try to do it. And every time, and I, the comic was supposed to be funny. It was supposed to be about when I was on Glee, doing Glee on Ice. I was the cheerleader. And I, rem- I sat down to start working on the assignment and I started drawing myself. And every time I approached drawing my legs, my like my hand froze. I felt sick and I couldn't do it. So I tried the next day and same exact thing. Every time I tried to like complete drawing my body, I felt like I was going to be sick and I couldn't do it. And I remember talking to my friend Dave about it and he was like, well, you're out of time. This assignment is due. You need to figure something out. So I made an entirely different comic and I just abandoned it. But then over the summer, I kept thinking about that experience of trying to draw myself and, and being unable to do it. And I, of course, it, it struck me as a challenge. Well, it's like, well, why can't I? Why can't I draw my body at this age and, and in this particular position? And that that was what started it all. If I hadn't tried, I think, to draw myself that way, I never would have thought about it. Do you have an answer to that question now? About why I couldn't draw myself? Absolutely. I was so, I was, I had, I had a coach some of my earliest memories are of this this particular coach uh, talking about my body to my parents and about how I was I was doing well on my team because I had the flattest stomach and I had I had so many sensory memories, especially about my legs being sort of gripped by coaches or like moved around wearing these tights, being very cold. That oh, I was just so I was just so screwed up over it. I had I thought of my legs in such a strange way. I didn't think they were my legs for most of my life. I was like, these are my coach's legs. These aren't my legs. So trying to draw them is is about taking control back, is when I draw my legs as myself in my apartment, you know, on my own, they have to be my legs. And it took me a while to sort of 
reclaim it all and be able to even think about what I actually looked like. That was another big part of it too, is I had an image of what I looked like. And then I looked back at photos and I look emaciated. I look like, I look like a child who's suffering. And that's, I remember feeling like I looked very trim, very strong. To some degree, that aspect of it is pretty universal in that we all have some form of body dysmorphia, probably to some degree. But but do you think that you were seeing yourself through your coach's eyes? Absolutely. Absolutely. I was seeing myself through my coach's eyes and through my fellow skaters' eyes. And it was always a competition about, and and it was one that I was often winning because I apparently at age seven had a very flat stomach, Um, (laughs) which is like, oh God, (laughs) it's terrible. Um, Yeah, none of it was through my eyes. And maybe that was part of why spinning was such a solid experience for me as I was finally able to look at my life's experiences through my own, through my own lens for once. Is the fugue state, as you described it, is it? Or they call it like flow. I think a lot of people call it flow. Is it about getting out of your own head? I think it's about getting away from sort of the the perspective and the pressure of others. For me, it was less about getting out of my own head. It was about getting away from the anxieties of everyone around me. The anxieties that I felt like were sort of bestowed upon me in my childhood as they are to most kids. Um, It flow for me isn't a state of sort of going far away. It's just about not worrying. I don't, don't, I'm not stressed. I'm not thinking like, oh, what if I draw this wrong? There's sort of no wrong when I'm in, when I'm in that state. And it's one that I don't get too much anymore, which is a bummer. I assume it's also probably pretty difficult to achieve when you're not only doing it for an assignment, but when Jason Lewis looks you in the eye and tells you that this has to be your best comic. I mean, no no disrespect to him, but like I clearly it's worked for him, but I don't know if that's the best advice in the world. You know, it's, it's interesting because now that's my class that I teach and I teach that assignment. And I, I don't say that to my students. I say it is all about uh, using the accumulation of the skills you've gained in this year and putting them to use. So if you learned how to spot blacks, if you learned how to do dialogue better, this is your chance to try and use it. Is your sense that he, that that was just his like shorthand way of trying to say that? Absolutely. But it's like, but it's the student teacher relationship. Teacher says something. Student is like, what? You know, they never... I didn't ask any clarifying questions. I wasn't like, Jason, what do you mean by best? I just, you know, got stressed out about it the way you do. I know that you said that you don't go back and read your old stuff, which is like totally understandable. I, I hate I hate reading stuff that I wrote like a week ago. But, um, but putting together this collection was very much a process of you, have, I assume, having to force yourself to go back and not just your old stuff, but like your assignments. Yeah. And luckily I didn't have to do most of it. Um, You did write notes though. I did. And that was pretty interesting. And that was also possible because I did it with Ricky. So Ricky is the editor at Avery Hill who first found me online and first published my work and who I've known for many years now. And I feel very secure with. And so when it, when it came to talking about these comics, I was like, I can do it, but we have to do it together. And it has to sort of feel like, we're just chatting about it. I'm not like sitting here really thinking about what this comic means, like just sort of help me through it. So he helped me through it. Um, and it felt like just taking a stroll down memory, memory lane, not like really looking at it too hard because 
I wasn't happy when I made most of those comics. And it's hard for me. It's hard for me to, to look at a lot of them. I'm trying to remember another, if I've seen another collection that does that same thing with the, with sort of the course assignment attached. And, and I, and I think it's probably because I don't think comics had been taught the way that they are taught now through CCS or a lot of the classes out at SVA or, you know, what Tom Hart's doing down in Gainesville, but it's a completely different way of looking at it, right? You'll read a lot of collections and there'll be notes from the artist, but it is, it's a different filter to see that these were created with an assignment in mind. I know. I think it's, I think it's fascinating. I think it's a really, I'm all about, I'm all about comics education, obviously, because I'm teaching it. I think it's, it's wonderful to see the prompts because I also think then people reading it can be like, why don't I try that? Yeah. You know, I, I didn't think about it until you just brought it up that it is sort of a newer, I think for writers, writing education has been such a mainstay for so long. It's been common to see like, oh, I did this at grad school. Yeah, I wonder how it'll feel for readers to see that. As a, as a writer or as an artist, prompts are useful from the standpoint of, you know, like the tyranny of the blank page and having uh, parameters set down. Now that you've been doing this for a while and you're, you've got several books under your belt, do you still need prompts to get started? I don't anymore, which is which is nice. Although I do, I miss the days of being a student when someone was like, make a comic in the style of Windsor McKay and just, you know, it, you're weak and your drawing just sort of like lays itself out right in front of you because, because someone is there. But at this point, it takes so long to finish a book, or at least it, it feels like it takes a long time for me. I know, relatively speaking, I finish books pretty fast. But like right now, working on Clementine book one, all I've been doing while I've been working on it is thinking about my ideas for book two. And so, and I think a similar thing will happen when book two, book three. So the ideas, the ideas stack up. I have, I have a backlog, actually. I have three different comics that I started and have not had time to sort of touch on again. So right now it's not so much a problem of, of needing prompts. It's, it's more about just it's prioritizing it's deciding which projects am I going to give space to because at, at the moment there's never enough space for all of them it was interesting reading through the book and then seeing the Windsor McKay prompt because the first story in the book is the end of summer and like is a very a, a very Windsor McKay inspired style absolutely yeah it's 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 I mean that's that's where it all started is I was I was aping and and working from my influences really directly. When I look back at some of the sketchbook stuff that I did, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Joe Lambert's work, but it was like a one-to-one for me in high school where I saw Joe Lambert's drawing and it was like, I need to draw like that. And I remember reading Sam Alden's comics and I was like, I need to make comics like that. And and they totally merged and the influences are right there. But I think it's it's actually really wonderful to be able to see influences so vividly. I talked to a lot of cartoonists and I, I spoke to one recently and he, you know, it's somebody who has written a lot of nonfiction comics and he sort of threw out science fiction as a, as a hypothetical. And this is, this has happened on a lot of conversations that I've had where it's just like a hypothetical of something that I would do if I wanted to go really far afield from what I do. And it seems like you don't have any particular allegiance to genre from that <laughs> standpoint. You will sit down and just write a science fiction book. Yeah. And I think it helps because I'm pretty 
uh, ignorant about a lot of topics. Like I don't, I don't know a lot about sci-fi. I didn't read a lot as a kid. I always had trouble reading. So a lot of genre to me is, is sort of a blank slate. Now I have since now read some sci-fi and it's fantastic. And now I know, but I'm kind of glad that I didn't know much about it when I made Sunbeam. Um, but yeah, I have no, no allegiance to genre or, or style. I know my work looks, all of it looks the same to everyone else, but to me, my books look very different. Um, to me, I think I always thought a lot about Jillian Tamaki. I have always admired Jillian's versatility and how she goes from doing adult work to young reader work to middle grade to different styles uh, and mediums. And she's she's definitely one who her her power as an illustrator informs her comics. And and I've I don't think I ever will have that kind of illustrator capacity. But I have always wanted to be like her when it comes to. My books being really different from one another. It's also more fun. You know, I can't, after doing Are You Listening, I don't think it, it it's not a surprise to me that I, I'm doing a book for The Walking Dead now because it's, it's the polar opposite of like a sensitive graphic novel about a Texas road trip and trauma is to like pivot to zombies. But it, it keeps it interesting and it keeps it fun and it also keeps me on my toes because there's definitely, I, I have a comfort zone with certain types of stories and I like that, I like to try to take on jobs that aren't aren't going to let me live there so easily. So that's why you're talking to Robert Kirkman. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah, this book was announced, so I'm allowed to talk about it. I don't, I'm not breaking any rules. God, they would if I was breaking the rules. Yes, I'm doing three three uh Walking Dead graphic novels about uh, a character Clementine who is from the Walking Dead video games. And I am I am continuing her story. I don't know how the fans feel about it. I'm not going to worry about it right now. I'm just, I'm just going to focus on my zombie book. I was reading through Honest Envy, and one of the things I was thinking, at least towards the beginning, I would say like, you know, a, a chunk of it. And I think this is a conversation that's had a lot around science fiction specifically. How much of it being a sci-fi book and it being set, you know, in space and on planets is perhaps incidental to the huh. the story that you're telling. Huh. Yeah. It's so arbitrary and on a sunbeam. It doesn't matter at all. It's just a background. It really is. And, and also it's a background that made my job a lot easier because I got to fill a lot of those backgrounds with spot black, which is way faster than actually drawing them. Yeah. It's, it actually is. I, I know now it's pro- it's not really sci-fi. It's it's like it's speculative fiction, but labels are stupid. I don't really care. About- it takes place in space. It takes place in space, but it takes place in space because I was like, that's funny. Why don't I put it in outer space? Um, it could easily take place in Maryland. Um, <laughs> it's uh, I wonder how, what it would look like if I actually tried to make a story that had to be connected to its environment and genre for its its kind of survival and purpose. Who knows? In that specific instance, which came first? Oh, space came first. Space came first because I had just finished spinning and I was like, I hate the ground. I hate, I don't want to draw schools anymore. I don't want to draw ice rinks. I want to draw outer space. This is like the the, the carbon negative, right? It's like ice skating is a very white, like, I was going to say it's very white, which I guess is like accurate in multiple senses, oh, but yeah. it's, it's white. It's white in the sense that like, you know, that ice, like the most of what you're drawing mm-hmm. is the ice and right. it is a blank page versus space. That's wild. I've never actually thought about the contrast that you're talking about, which is that if you, if it's true, if you flip through spinning, there's a lot of open space and then you look at on a sunbeam and it's full of, 
of solid black and solid colors. Yeah. That, that must've been, it must've been purposeful because it, I wanted to feel like I was doing something really different um, from what I had just did. One of the things that, that has always stuck with me uh, years ago, I, I talked to Jaime Hernandez and he told me that it's like such a silly and obvious thing in hindsight. I'm not a cartoonist. I don't draw. So that's probably why it hadn't occurred to me before, but he, you know, he was talking about why in the early Love and Rockets books, they were drawing cars and dinosaurs. And, and it just sort of comes down to like, you're going to sit down and work on a graphic novel or, you know, even just a long floppy. You draw things that you want to draw over and over again. Exactly. Yes. Yes. That's totally it. And it's something, yeah, you're right. You'd never think about it. But all, all my books have started off that way. Um, where I remember when Ricky was like, will you do a 90 page book for me? Um, I was like, okay, what should it be about? And he was like, well, I don't know. You're supposed to pick. I was like, okay, well, I I remember having a notebook open being like, what are some things that I like? And I wrote down cats and I wrote down twins and I wrote down architecture. And that's the whole, the whole freaking book. It's so, it's so true. My, my, the Clementine book, the zombie book I'm working on right now is taking place on a mountain just because I really am into drawing mountains right now. And I have to draw mountains for 300 pages. Um, it's a great, it's a great constraint, actually, one that I recommend to my students all the time, where if you think about writing a book, and you're just starting from a blank slate, it's so open, it's so daunting. But if you think about something that you would be comfortable drawing again and again, it's probably not a long list. Drawing isn't, drawing's fun, but it's not that fun. And it's like trees are always up there for me. There's a reason why my books are very leafy. You're a twin. I am a twin. I mean, obviously, that has to be connected with your that being one of the three things that you mentioned that you want to draw. Oh, it's so true. And I'm so, I'm mad that I can't talk about the other book I'm working on because what twinness is very relevant to it, but shit, I'm not going to say anything because they'll get mad at me. Yeah. Oh, being a twin is, is, has super defined a lot of the stories I've told. And I think a lot about how I draw intimacy. I think I, I read a study once and it's totally true about how your relationship with your twin ends up informing how you think about your relationships with with other people in your life to come you know romantic relationships and and it's so true there's like a uh this sort of I remember drawing in my sketchbook when I was a teenager and trying to draw people holding each other and I kept drawing it over and over again and no matter how much I drew it I felt like I couldn't draw them close enough because it didn't express just how close I needed them to be for them to understand how it feels. And it's still something that that frustrates me when I draw people being close to one another. It never feels close enough. And I think it has to do with having this other half in the world that I, I wouldn't be the same without. You two are really close. We are. So I have a twin brother. We're not identical. We're, we are fraternal, but we are, we are very close. He was, he was sort of, I, it's sad to say, my only friend uh, for a long time growing up. But it's... It's so true that I, I feel like I can feel him when he's far away. And I don't know. I can't feel his pain. But I don't know. If he got a shot right now, maybe my arm would hurt. It's like a really, it's a totally surreal experience that um, that I know I've talked to other twins about it. They they get it. It's um, it's It honestly feels like the biggest, sort of the biggest, not, not, not in a religious sense, but the biggest blessing that I've ever had in my entire life was to be born a twin because I feel like I'm, I've never really been alone. You grow up and obviously you mm-hmm. 
to some degree want want to live different lives and oh, yeah. you, know, you are far away from each other. You find your eventual romantic partners. I mean, in a sense, you do kind of lose that confidant that you had. You do, but you sort of never lose that. It's like that foundation. It sort of never goes away. And it's a very, it's very comforting. Yeah, but you're right. No, he lives in Maryland. He's off doing his thing. I have a wife now. Okay, so he's not that. He's not super far away. He's not super far away, which is good, which is good. I'm going to see him this weekend. And it's it's funny, when, when we were in high school, people always thought we were dating because we were constantly touching each other. We couldn't we couldn't help ourselves. I just had to have my arm around him. It's like, that's no. It's a little weird. I'm not going to lie. Maybe it's maybe it's weird, but I think as a twin, it was, it was totally normal. Also, it's like, guys, I'm a lesbian. I, I was one of the only out people in my high school. Do the math. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm really compelled to be near him. It's It's a really... It's really instinctual. It sounds like you enjoyed the process of doing a, a, a web comic, and and I'm curious how that is, how that impacts the process, and how that impacts the flow. You know, the biggest part of it for me, it was something that stuck in my mind for so long. I remember reading a tweet from Sam Alden when I was like 17, where it was something like comics should be free or like, make sure that your some of your comics are free. Let people read them. Like it will only help you and help them to have more people reading your comics. And when I started Sunbeam, the whole intention of it being a web comic was that it's like, if this ends up being really long, I just want this to be a big old graphic novel that people can read for free. I've never felt very comfortable on the internet. I haven't read a lot of web comics. I don't know a lot about web comic culture. There are people who their whole life is, is making web comics. So in that sense, I had no idea what I was doing when it came to making a web comic, but I felt really adamant and strongly about it it all being up there and easy to read, no ads in the way, nothing but just like taking this comic. It was a little tough when it was decided that, or when I decided because I made no money doing it, that I should publish it as a book so I can I can make a little money and make more books, is that I wanted it to stay online for free, even though it's out in the world as a book and it's still up there. It's People can read the whole thing and I'm so... I'm so proud of it. But even to this day, I still don't know a lot about webcomics. I don't know if I would ever really do a webcomic again, because the more the time passes, the more the internet scares me. And at that time, I was still a little like, oh, the internet's a lovely place. We share pictures of cats. I'm just going to put this online and everything's fine. Um, Now I know more. So... I don't know if I would do a webcomic again, but I would absolutely just put another graphic novel on the internet for free again, because it, it has been nothing but a rewarding experience. The, so the book, when when printed out in, in book form, is, it's like 530 pages. I mean, that is a massive It's book. long. It, and if we're, if we're going to be uh, honest, the original draft of Sunbeam that was up on the internet initially was 700 pages long. But we edited it down, and I quietly changed what was online to the edited version so people read it in its best form and no one noticed so it was fine <laughs> no one noticed that 200 pages disappeared part of why i bring that up is, is is i wonder what 
doing something on the web does both for pacing, but also length. I mean, I wonder if, if you're serializing it in that way, whether it's sort of more, whether it's easier to kind of get carried away. It was easier to get carried away. That's a fantastic point. Yeah. I, I had no idea how long it was. I wasn't counting the pages. I just knew that with each chapter, I had to like add a little thumbnail so one could click on the chapter and, and go in. Um, it was nice. It was, it was good to get carried away, but it's so unsustainable. I don't know how I know people make money as, as web comic artists, but at the time I was, there was, there was no money to be made. I was simply paying for the hosting um, and putting it up there. And I, I didn't see any other option besides publishing it to, to make it sustainable. And again, obviously none of us know exactly where we're going to be five years from now. And you don't know where you're going to be at the end of this, this five book contract. But um, ultimately, would you say that you're glad that you ended up at comics and not the Marines? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm much less traumatized. And I think I, I have had a lot more time and space for myself. And, and at you know, way back when I, as we said, I, I was running away from, from myself and from my experiences. And this seemed, seemed like a good option. I mean, is there a parallel universe where that's what I did? And, and I've, I've had different experiences and, and met different people. And, you know, I think I would have, I would have been surrounded by very different people than the ones in the comics community. And that's what I sort of wonder about is, is who would I be if I had been around that community? But I, I couldn't be, I couldn't be happier with the way things have gone because I also, I wouldn't have met Emma, my wife, if, if I hadn't been in comics and, and that would have been a tragedy and I wouldn't be living in Vermont probably, which I love. I hate Texas. I don't want to live in Texas. So yeah, it all, it all worked out. And as compelling as that recruiter was, I'm really glad that CCS accepted me into their program so I could, I could go down this path. <laughs> 